It's good to see everyone today. If you've been on vacation or you're coming back from the summer or whatever, I'm really glad you're here today. And I want to just remind you, we are in 1 Thessalonians. Now, we'll start Revelation on September the 21st, but we're going to wrap up 1 Thessalonians because we've been working through the whole book. We're going to finish that up. We're in chapter 5. We uh, encountered a section of 1 Thessalonians beginning in chapter 4 dealing with the subject, subject of sanctification. Sanctification is increasingly eliminating all threats to our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what sanctification means. We are waiting for Jesus to return and our waiting for Him should be characterized by increasingly eliminating all threats to our relationship with Jesus Christ and decreasing the threats, eliminating the threats uh, to our proclamation of the gospel. And one of the first areas that First Thessalonians addresses is their sexual immorality. Because sexual immorality is a credible threat to your relationship with the Lord. If you're involved in sexual immorality, it will devastate your relationship with the Lord. If you're going to wait on Jesus Christ to return better and better each and every day the rest of your lives, abstain from sexual immorality, eliminate that threat to your relationship with the Lord. That's sanctification. The reason I stress that so much is because you cannot read today's text outside of the umbrella of this theme of sanctification and properly understand why this text is given to us, why God gives us this command. So as we read this this morning, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, remember we're under the umbrella of sanctification. All right, let's read the passage together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 and 13. If you're reading from the Pew Bible, you'll find it on about page 160 or so if you start looking from the back of the Bible. And 1 Thessalonians is located in the back of the New Testament. I hope you're there so you can read along with me as we walk through this together. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12. We ask you, brothers, to acknowledge those who labor, work hard among you, and to lead you in the Lord, literally that word means set themselves before you in the Lord. They're leading you by example. They're leading you in the Lord and admonish you. <clears throat> so the first thing you're supposed to do is acknowledge them. And then the second thing, verse 13, you are to regard them or Set them, put them in first place to have regard for them beyond measure in love because of their work. And then be at peace among yourselves. I told somebody after the first service I've been more anxious about preaching this passage than any other passage in recent memory presents somewhat of a challenge to stand before you and to tell you, God tells you to put me in first place above all measure. Obey him. Uh, that's a little bit of a challenge. Yet I am called to be faithful to the text. And so I will seek to do that. 
But I want you to be reminded of a couple things as I unfold this passage. One is you are to do this because of the work of the pastor, the elder. I use those terms synonymously. The men who are called to lead the local church. That's who's in in mind here. Those who work hard, lead you in the Lord, and admonish you that this is the characteristics of your pastor, your elder, the men who lead the local church. And therefore, you're supposed to act this way towards them because of their work. I've been here six months. All right, I'm, I'm 30 years old. My first pastorate, six months into it, I make a phone call to my pastor that I was under before I came here. And I said to him, I am so sorry. He goes, what for? I said, because I never appreciated you. I never thanked you enough. I never encouraged you enough. I never appreciated all you did enough. I did not get the difficulty of what you do until I've walked through it just for six months and I feel like an idiot and I am so sorry that I was not better to you. And I did not know just how hard this would be. It was harder than I could have ever imagined. Just after six months. I remember when I called my dad after we decided that we'd come here and I'd be the pastor. I called my dad and I told him, I'm going to go be the pastor of Southside Baptist Church in Abilene, Texas. And he says, I'm not real excited about that. I'm like, well, Dad, aren't you supposed to like be there for me and encourage me? And, and it wasn't that he was not encouraging. It wasn't that he was not supportive. He was just very concerned because over his lifetime, he has watched many pastors and their families be destroyed by the local church. And everyone in here knows of a horror story like that. In fact, you can look online and look up recent studies of pastors across our nation and you can look at how are they faring. And you know what you're going to find when you look that up? You know what the studies are going to show you? They're going to show you that 70% of pastors today in America are burning out. 70% of pastors today will tell you they don't even have a single close friend in the church. Not even one. 70% of pastors will, will say, I am right now struggling with depression. 80% of pastors will tell you that the, the job of pastoring the church has been completely detrimental and negative for their family. And it's really hurt their family deeply. 80% of pastors will tell you that uh, what they're doing um, is not fulfilling in their life. They'll say, I am not happy or content with my life in Christ, my church, and my family. Around 80% of pastors are saying that. 50% of pastors are saying, if I could figure out a way to replace my income, I would quit tomorrow because I'm so discouraged with the work. It's impossible for me to convince you of the difficulty of the work, but I think that it's easy to convince you of the need that exists in the life of pastors to be acknowledged and to be regarded beyond measure 
in love. The need is there. It is so there. But I don't want you to read this passage just from the perspective of what's needed. Because this command is not necessarily related just to the need in the life of the pastor. I want you to understand that this is a command from the Lord and it's not a matter of whether or not your pastors need it. It's a matter of whether or not you are obedient to the Lord's command. It doesn't matter whether or not I need encouragement at any particular point in my life. What matters more is that God has encouraged you to acknowledge your pastors, your elders, and to regard them above any measure in love. That's the command. That's how you're supposed to treat your pastors. But I don't want you thinking about it just in terms of what your pastors need or just in terms of obedience to the clear command of God. I also want you to think about it in terms of what you need. You know, another statistic that's out there is that last year in American churches, over 3,500 people left the American church every day, statistically. I don't know how true that is or how accurate that is numerically, but this is what I do know, that every single one of us in this room over the past year, over the past two years, over the past five years, have had a a situation in our life where we needed someone to preach God's word to us. We needed someone to admonish us. We needed someone to stand before us and lead us to follow Jesus Christ. We needed someone to help us through a decision, a struggle with sin and temptation, to give us counsel and advice, to be there when we were hurting. We needed someone to be a pastor. You need a pastor, shepherd, a group of men who will faithfully lead you. This command is about our need as pastors. It's about obedience to Jesus Christ. And it's about your need to be encouraged to follow Jesus Christ better and better every day of your lives until Jesus Christ returns. We will all be better if we obey this. We'll all wait for Jesus Christ better if we obey this. This is a command that's about your sanctification. When Lindley and I first got married, I really loved her a lot. Still do. But you know, when you first get married, it's new, it's fresh, it's exciting, it's You've got to find a way to love each other. You'd go to all kinds of lengths and efforts to demonstrate that love. And the difference between Lindley and I now is, you know, after 22 years, I've figured out a little bit more about what it means to actually show her love. Early on in our marriage, I really believed the way I could show her love was just buy her a lot of camping equipment and take her and teach her how to fish. (laughs) That didn't work. I had to make some significant adjustments in order to demonstrate the emotions that I felt towards her. And I, I just want to kindly help you as a church family to stop giving us camping equipment, so to say, so to speak, and to may give you some instruction on how to obey this passage, particularly as it relates to the leaders here at Southside. I, I want to encourage you more than correct you. 
I'm really grateful that I don't have to stand up here and say, you are one lousy church. And if I had another way to make a living, I'd be out tomorrow. I'm grateful that that's not in my heart. But it doesn't mean I can't encourage you to do better. Remember, this is about sanctification. And I want you to see what God has to say for you and how it relates to your life here in the church family at Southside. So let me give you a couple of thoughts. Number one, don't hide your life from your leaders. Don't hide your life from your pastors. Nothing is more discouraging. Nothing communicates that you do not acknowledge the spiritual grace and authority God has given me and your pastors to help you wait on Jesus Christ. Nothing is more discouraging than for you to hide from us areas of your life that you need our help. None of your pastors have it together, so much so that we don't have to rely on the grace of God. None of us have it together so much that we are not struggling along the way ourselves. But each one of us has been given authority and grace from God to exercise a role in your life that is critical for your sanctification. And nothing is more discouraging than you pretending like you're okay all the while inside you're deteriorating or your marriage is deteriorating or your business life is falling apart because you've not had integrity in your life in Christ. Nothing is more discouraging than to hear that you don't care about God anymore because for the last two years in your life you've been neglecting God's word more and more. Nothing is more discouraging than to discover you've hidden your life, your struggles, your major decisions from the very ones who are called to encourage you, equip you, advise you, counsel you, walk beside you, and partner with you as you walk in Christ. Don't hide your life. And don't be one of those persons that says, they're too busy, they got too much going on, too much is happening, they, they don't have time for me, they got all kinds of bigger problems than what I've got. You know why we're here? Do you know why your pastors are here? We're here to spend our lives so that we wait well for Christ together. Don't hide your life from us. Acknowledge what God has given you in having pastors that are here to help. Regard us with love that's beyond measure by letting us in and helping you. Don't hide. Love beyond measure. Here's another way. Tell us when God's working in your life. Let us know. I can think of experiences all through the years where some of you have come to me individually and said, I want you to know how God's working in my life. And I want you to know how you are a part of that. And I just want to tell you, when those things happen, and, I, and I'm making eye contact with several of you who have done that with me, and I just want to tell you, you have no idea what an incredible encouragement and sustaining strength that creates in our hearts when we hear what God is doing in your life. Now, at the risk of offending 
Some of you, I'm going I'm to tell you something. If you've ever used this phrase, thought this phrase, struggle with this idea, please don't take this personally. I'm not trying to attack you personally. I'm not using the stage to address you. If I have a problem with you, I'll just come to your face. We'll hug and make up. All right, so, so hear this out. I've heard this idea expressed over the years. I didn't want to tell you this because I didn't want you to get the big head. I'm going to tell you this, but I don't want you to get prideful over it. I'm thinking to myself when people say that to me or something like that, I'm like, well, what do you want to do, just squash me? You just want to crush me down and grind me up? And, and I wonder sometimes if there's not this pervasive opinion or perspective among local churches that their pastors really are, are people that should be squashed. I mean, if, if, if we got pastors all over the United States who are falling out, I wonder if there's any correlation between how people are treating them and how they feel about pastoring. And I just want to encourage you to know that if you come and you tell me how God's working in your life and it has much to do with what I'm doing or one of the other pastors is doing, I'm just going to tell you, we want to honor the Lord in our lives and we know that when God uses us, it's not because we've got it together, it's because of God's grace and we hear how God's grace is at work. We believe more than ever that God is using us like He said He wanted to. If we never hear anything, you know what we begin to wonder? Is God even using me? Am I, am I even here for any reason at all? And then you know what we begin to do? We begin to make up stuff about ourselves so we feel better about it. You know what that leads to? Pride. But if you tell us how God is working in our lives, you know what's going to happen? We're going to get on our knees. We're going to thank God for something He and only He could do. And we're going to humble ourselves because we want to hear from God so that we might continue to speak to you on God's behalf. We need to hear how God's working in your life. I got a note this last week from a family here. and Man, it was so encouraging. They talked about what happened two weeks ago in a sermon. And it was, man, it just, it meant the world to me. I received a card from someone. It was anonymously written years ago. And I carried that card with me for years. Because every once in a while, I need to open that card and just read what they said to be reminded of how God called me. We need to hear how God's working in your life. And I know there are some Sundays that you're sitting there thinking, man, God's so worked in my life. I want to to tell Kevin. I want to tell one of the other pastors, one of the other elders. And you see other people around me, and you think, I'll do it later. There's too many people. He doesn't want to hear it. I just want to tell you, please make the effort to acknowledge us, to obey by telling us about how God's working in life. There There is hardly anything else that is more encouraging and more loving than for us to understand and see how God is using us in your life to help you follow Christ. So keep doing that. But do it more. Do it more. This is about sanctification. The third thing is work really hard to be a part of the church. If you want to acknowledge our role in your life, if you want to really love us beyond measure, then don't appear disinterested in the body life that we are called to lead. See, we're called to lead you to wait well on Christ. And part of waiting well on Christ is being faithful in the body of believers to serve, to be a blessing to each other, to be a part of what's happening here. So be a part, get involved, find a place 
plug in, do more than just spectate. Do something to be a part of this body. Don't appear disinterested in the church that we are called to lead for your benefit and your sanctification. The fourth thing that I'd like to encourage you to do is just do something unexpected on a regular basis for your pastors, your leaders. Just do something unexpected. Maybe it's a note, maybe it's a phone call, maybe it's taking someone out to lunch, maybe it's showing up with a meal. It doesn't have to cost money, it doesn't have to take a lot of time. Just do something unexpected, buy a new car for the pastor. I mean, just something unexpected. (laughs) Just kidding about that one. Something unexpected, every once in a while, it's the little things that the pastors don't expect that really communicate on a personal level how much you love them. And you know what it's supposed to be like for us who are pastors here at Southside when we go to these conferences where other pastors are and they ask us, tell me about your church. How does your church treat you? It's supposed to be like that our response to that question is, I can't even measure the way Southside loves me. That's the way it's supposed to be because we have need, because this is a matter of obedience, because you have a need, because it's better for all of us. So do something unexpected every once in a while. I mean, there's got to be a correlation to the way pastors feel around America and the way they're treated in the church. There's got to be a correlation. And, and I just wonder, you know, what kind of pastor do you really want? Do you want a pastor who's in that 80 percentile of hating everything they do, not standing the people they're around, wanting to leave and finding a way out, destroying their family and discouraged and depressed every day of their life? Do you want that kind of pastor? Or do you want the kind of pastor that's in the 20 and 30 percentile that says, I love what I do. I know God's called me here. My church loves me beyond measure. I can't imagine doing anything else. I love this calling. Which one do you want? Which one is better for you? Which one will help you more? Which one will you hear what God says through? Did you know that 80% of pastors, think about the collation here, 80% of pastors today say, I only read my Bible when I'm preparing to preach. What? I wonder 80% of Pastors are depressed. But why would they read their Bibles if the church they lead is chewing them up and spitting them out? See, this is, you want the kind of pastor who feels an immeasurable amount of regard, love, and honor. That pastor will have every reason to seek the Lord with all his heart and will lead you well. And it will be better for all of us towards our sanctification. I want you to notice this last little phrase here. It says, be at peace with each other. You know the number one reason why pastors are bailing out of churches? Because of conflict with church members and among church members. You want to do something that demonstrates a high regard for your pastors, a love beyond measure, then pursue peace with each other. I'm just going to be honest. I cannot stand when I hear about conflict among you. 
it drives me crazy. When I hear so-and-so said so-and-so and they're mad at so-and-so and they said this about this and they're all up in arms and this person didn't come back because of this person, I'm just like, grow up. What is wrong with you? This is not godly. I mean, it drives me crazy when I have to get involved with that and make, that is a killer to me. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't hide. We're here to help. But what really blesses us is when you pursue peace. What really shows you acknowledge us is when we hear things like so-and-so got mad at so-and-so and and they had words about so-and-so and and it's spreading around all over the place. Then they all got together. They repented. They confessed their sin and now they're all walking together in Christ and working through the conflict. Oh my word, somebody listened to something I said. Praise the Lord, you know? And it's, it's this wonderful moment of realizing God is actually using me here in their lives and it matters. I want you to use me more, God. See how incredible that is? And there are some key areas where you need to be pursuing peace. One of them is in your marriages. I'm going to tell you, there's nothing more destructive for the gospel in the church than when husbands and wives are not pursuing peace with each other intentionally and regularly. I'm not telling you that you have to have a perfect marriage. Spend a little time with Lindley and I, you'll discover that's not something we're really advocating. But what we are advocating is an absolute intentional effort towards being at peace with each other so you can partner in the work of the gospel as a married couple in the church. Pursue peace. In your homes. Listen, students, particularly you youth-age students, I want to catch your attention real quick. Listen to this. Pursue peace with your moms and dads. Nothing is as discouraging for me as a pastor than to watch you kids rebel against your moms and dads. And I'll tell you on two accounts why that's true. Because I know the devastation it'll bring to your life and I see how ineffective it makes your mom and dad in the church. It destroys your family and it deeply affects the church. Pursue peace with your moms and dads. Honor them. Obey them. Follow them. Trust their leadership. And you will be an amazing blessing to the church, to your pastors. It will feel like you love us if you pursue peace with your parents. Pursue peace with each other in the church. You know what makes a healthy church? It's not a church that has less problems. Southside, if you're new here, we got our host of problems. Walk around the hallway, you'll see a few problems out there. Um, you'll probably hear a few comments about the problems out there. We got a lot of stuff going on here that's creating all kinds of issues around here. We have lots of problems, but here's what we are. We are a church that has a lot of peacemakers who are con- convicted by the Holy Spirit that we've got to resolve any conflict in a godly way and move through it. What makes a healthy church is resolution, peacemakers. And I'm telling you, nothing is more satisfying to our sense of calling as pastors than to see a church family pursuing peace. Pursue peace. This is a need. 
It's a command. And it's something that's better for all of us. It's better for all of us. You know, your pastors, I can tell you for sure, that this point in the life of your pastors, not any of us, your elders, your pastors, not any of us, are at the place where we hate what we do. We hate where we are. And we're pretending that uh, we're glad to be here in order to survive it. That's not where we are. We really love being here. We feel very fortunate to be a part of what God's doing here. And you have a rare uh, gift in having men who lead, who are really, really happy about leading in this place. But please, please don't mistake that as a lack of need. Because every one of us have been hurt. Every one of us have scars. And every one of us will be hurt right here. And we need your encouragement. But I want you to know that none of us are doing this because of what we get out of it from you. We're not doing this because we get a certain paycheck. We're not doing this because we get all these perks. We're not doing this because it's the easiest job in the world. We're not doing this because of what we get out of it. And you don't want that kind of pastor, do you? I mean, who in here wants the kind of pastor that says, I'm only in this job because it's super easy. I get to play golf Monday through Saturday. I get up, say a few words on Sunday. They think I'm working all week and I get a huge paycheck. I get lots of perks. I get a paid vacation. This is wonderful. I hardly have to do anything at all. I just get my secretary to answer the phone at all and I'm gone. I'm, I love this job because of everything I get from it and nothing I have to do. This is the life. Does anybody want a pastor like that? No, you don't want that kind of pastor. See, the kind of pastor you want is the kind of pastor that says, I'm in this because God called me, and I'm not leaving it until God calls me away. And I don't care how hard it gets. I don't care how much pain I experience. I don't care how devastating it becomes. I am going to be faithful to serve the Lord no matter what. They can hate me, and I will speak the truth. They can reject me, and I will follow Christ. That's the kind of pastor you want, right? I want to encourage you. I believe you have those kind of pastors. But as much as you expect that from your pastors, as much as you want that from us, obey this command. Okay? And I think you'll be pleasantly surprised how good it is for your pastors and how much better it is for you. This command has got to be really hard for you guys to follow. It's got to be. This has got to be one of the most difficult commands for the local church to obey because why is it that so many pastors are hurt? There was a guy here this morning, came up to me after the first service, said it's providential that I was here. He's a pastor. Providential. He said, I'm in the 80 percentile and I don't know what to do. This has got to be a hard command because I think a lot of local churches are not doing this. So I wonder, what makes this so hard? Is it because there are times in your life that your pastor doesn't do what you think he should do? You just decide, I'm not going to be showing him love. 
Maybe it's you think he's just a man just like me and I know how I fail. He's got to be failing too, so I'm not going to really trust him, love him, esteem him, follow him, honor him. Well, I don't know what it is that makes it so hard, but I know what it is can make it easy. Take a look at the cross. If God did not spare his own son for us, then how in the world would God command us to do something that's not for our good? It is less important what you think about me and more important what you think about God's gift to you in his commands. Obey him. It's better for all of us. I'm I'm really glad to get past this text. But I'm prayerful and hopeful that as this text settles on all of our hearts, that it would bring about change. That would ripple out beyond our fellowship to other churches. And that more and more churches would understand that a part of their sanctification has to do with loving their pastors. And I just want to tell you, I'm really grateful for you guys. I'm thankful for your love, for me, my family, and for the other pastors and elders here at Southside. We want to be better pastors. We're not as good as we should be and can be. And we want to keep growing. You can help so much. If you'll just obey this command more and more as a part of the way you wait for Jesus' return, we'll all be better. Amen.